Um, turn with me to the book of Luke, and we're uh, going to travel over to Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. As many of you know, but this is for those that are new, we're in a series right now talking about our good, good father, good, good father, and how good he is to us. And I want to continue in this series. My assignment comes from Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you got it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold up. All right, all right, all right. Amen. Luke 10, 38. And it reads, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you have the Bible app on your phone, switch it over and we can read it together. But it says, now it happened as they went that he entered, he is speaking of Jesus, entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted. Somebody say distracted. Underline this. Was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Yes, there were sibling rivalries during the Bible times. Therefore, tell her to help me. How dare you, Martha? You telling Jesus what to do? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Term of endearment, saying her name twice. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Speak to anyone in this room. So much on my mind. Some of you may, might be saying, so much going on in my home, so much happening all at once. So much. You're troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want to speak to you for the few moments that I have on the subject matter, at his feet. At his feet. How many of you have heard this term before? Sitting at his feet, at his feet. Let us learn something today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for all these wonderful people that are gathered here. I pray that you would use me as your servant. I confess before them, I cannot do this without you, God. I need your strength. I need your anointing. I need your power. Open up our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As we dive into this text, I think it's important to lay some foundation. Because I don't know about you, but when I started reading the Bible, I got confused with how many Marys there are in the Bible. There are so many Marys. Has anyone had that happen to you? Like just, just man, all these Marys, which one is which? So it's helpful to gain a foundation. This Mary that's spoken of in this scripture happens to be the sister of Martha, which we just read. But she is also the sister of Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. And the Gospel of John, chapter 11 and chapter 12, you can read about Lazarus, how he was almost, uh, or like how he had a sickness that came upon him, actually died, and was raised from the dead through Jesus. John, chapter 11, verse 12. But what we also need to make note of is that this is also the same Mary that was at the Pharisee's house. And John, or Luke, sorry, Luke, chapter 7, this is the same Mary it doesn't mention Mary in that scripture, but it says that there was a sinful woman that came to this Pharisee's house. And mind you, if you don't know who the Pharisees are, this was a very religious group in Jesus' day. 
that were very adamant about keeping the law, but they missed the weightier matters of the law and they didn't serve God out of a grateful heart. They were just doing the routine, going through the motions, but their heart was far from God. Are you with me? All of us can sometimes be guilty of this. But while Jesus was invited to this Pharisee's house, the Bible says that this woman came out and she literally came up to his feet and broke open what, what, what is called an alabaster box, a flask of oil, which is very expensive, which was very valuable in that time, was hard to come by. And she broke this open and she began to anoint Jesus' feet. And as she was crying, her tears began to come on his feet and then she wiped them with her hair. And the Bible says that this Pharisee, because how many of you know sometimes when you experience breakthrough, not everyone's going to be excited for your breakthrough. Sometimes when you experience healing, sometimes when your life has changed, people were more content with you being in your situation, but they're getting used to you being healed and being on top of your game. Don't get accustomed to people's failures because you never know what God may be doing in their life and how God may be using them to bring you out of your bondage, to bring you out of your issues. So don't cast somebody to the side before it's time because God's working on us. Amen? But the Bible says that this Pharisee asked within himself, and Jesus knowing all things, he said within himself, well, you know, if only Jesus knew who this woman was, what she's done, the fact that she was a sinner. And Jesus, knowing our thoughts, knowing all things, actually spoke to the Pharisee and said, Simon, I want to tell you a parable. A parable was a short story, an earthly story that had a spiritual truth. So So he shared this story, and he said there was a creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Both of them were forgiven of their debt. But I want to ask you this question, Simon. Which one of those who had this debt and they weren't able to pay this debt, which one do you think would love more? And Simon said, I would suppose the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus said, you are correct. You know, before I move on, it's interesting to note, I've noticed over the years in ministry who's been set free. Because it's expressed through their worship. Sometimes I see people that can worship the Lord with extravagant worship. And I know their stories. I know their situation. I know what they've been through in their lives. And we have to get to a point where we worship God before the breakthrough comes. Olivia, one of our students, ministered that to us. And we've walked with her as she's gone through this. But this woman has continued to worship God and to give him her very best, even when it didn't feel convenient. But how many of you know that sometimes you have to worship God past the pain? Sometimes you have to be able to see things the way God sees them. Everything that happens in the natural is first originated in the spiritual. That's why God said that he calls those things that be not as though they were. It's no coincidence that we're called faith church. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes we have to be willing to press past what we feel and what we see and worship God in the midst of what's going on and believe him for breakthrough. I know some of you in this room have lost family members. I know some of you in this room are battling through hard times at this moment. But may I encourage you to worship the Lord. To maintain a heart of worship. Every time I visit people in the hospital, I always encourage them to make sure that you have worship music playing in that atmosphere. Because you have to understand, when Saul in the Bible, Saul, 
was Israel's king. Wasn't the king that God ideally had chosen for them, but because they wanted this king, that's whom they were given. God always had a king in store for them, David, but they were impatient. They wanted a king, so God said, all right, I'll give you Saul. But the Bible says once Saul was rejected because of some unlawful sacrifices and his disobedience, that he started to receive a distressing spirit that was coming upon him. And he had the, the know-with-all. Some of his servants said, well, we know about a man, David, this dude that plays in the field, this guy that's a shepherd. We've heard him play the harp. Why don't you have him come over and play the harp? So sure enough, Saul called for David, brought him over to Saul, and every time David played the harp skillfully, the tormenting spirit would leave. There's something to be said about the power of worship. Are you with me, Faith Church? I tell young people all this time, and really for adults as well, you got to be mindful of what you listen to. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, be not deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. The music you listen to can influence your day. The music you listen to, if I can be real, can get you in the mood. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> the music that you listen to can cause you to think about certain things. The music that you, you know what? I can remember back in the day hearing this story. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the rap group Bone Thugs and Harmony, but like they were this rap group back in the day and um, secular rap group. And I can remember hearing a testimony of this gentleman uh, who was a minister saying that gang members, before they would go out and literally kill people to get initiated into the gang, they would listen to their music to get hyped up to get in that frame of mind because they couldn't naturally just go out and do this, but they would listen to music to put them in that space. So don't tell me that music doesn't have power. I hear from young people, oh man, but I just like the beat, Pastor Brandon. I, I, I understand you like the beat, but are you listening to the words? Because the words will get in you and you got to be mindful of what you listen to because it can get in you. But be not deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Is it any coincidence, y'all, that Satan who was actually Lucifer, a beautiful angel that Jesus created, was in charge of worship in heaven before he was cast out? Did you know that? He was in charge of worship. So is it no coincidence, after his heart was lifted up in pride and he was cast out of heaven and took a third of the angels with him, is it any coincidence that he's using music to deceive this generation? But the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. we got to take a stand. Everyone in this church, a stand for what's right. I stand for what's right. But as we look at this scripture and as we look at this text and the mighty influence that it has, sometimes we have to be mindful to worship God in the midst of what we're going through. And this woman was so powerful about Mary is that she came to Jesus' feet, but I believe she came to his feet because she was looking for discipleship. You know, we are excited when people come to the Lord. I get excited when I see people come to know Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. We should never get to the point where we're not excited for somebody coming to the Lord. Even though you've been saved for X amount of years, never lose the excitement in seeing somebody else come to the Lord. Because how many of you know, even though you are saved and been saved for a long time, sometimes you need to be reminded of what it was like when you first gave your life to Jesus. Sometimes we can get stale in our relationship with God. We can get stagnant. But the beauty is when people are one for the Lord, the Bible says, out of the mouth of babes, cries perfect praise. So when we see people come into the relationship with Jesus, come into the kingdom, and there's such a zeal and there's such a passion, it just exudes from them and it rubs off on us. 
And it reminds us of what it was like when Jesus first intervened in our life. Do you remember when Jesus saved you? Do you remember what you were doing? Do you remember where you were? What relationship you were in? What club you were at? Uh, All right. Come on, man. We all have a past, including me. But I can remember in that dorm room, God speaking to me and saying, Brandon, it's time to start living for me. And my life was rocked. But I always asked, how did Jesus have such a close relationship with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Because we step on the scene in John chapter 11 and 12 when Lazarus is sick and we kind of gain a vibe based on their conversations that this, this, this family was close to Jesus. Some commentators and theologians believe that when Mary broke open the alabaster box with Simon the leper, that Simon was actually their father or potentially their uncle. And so as we look at these stories, like I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, like, how did they have a relationship? How were they so close? But I really believe as we examine Luke chapter 7, that this woman apparently had many sins. Commentators believe that she was a prostitute. And that's how she was able to come up with the funds, the means to be able to have such an expensive flask of oil, perfume, if you will. Isn't it interesting? You know, you can read about in Proverbs chapter 5 when it talks about the immoral woman and it talks about some of the perfumes and the spices that she uses to allure men. Isn't it interesting that she used the very thing to bring men, to seduce men, she used the very thing and flipped it to use it for the glory of, for the glory of God? That means God can take our mistakes, our messes, our mess-ups, and make them a testimony. That means the very thing that like God uh, took or that God changed in us, he uses it for his power, for his glory. Can I speak to the men for just a second? As we're talking about at his feet, one thing that I had to learn as a man is God desires extravagant worship from us. I had this thought process that, you know what, you know, getting all emotional and getting caught up in worship, maybe that's for the women, that's not necessarily for me. I'm kind of going to do my thing, you know, I'll kind of worship God on my own. But one thing that I thought about, I said, David worshiped you so much, worshiped you so much. He was an extravagant worshiper. He was extravagant. He was passionate. Now, granted, his passion sometimes led to his demise. He was also passionate about women as well, and that was a problem. God didn't want him to lose his passion, but he wanted his passion to be directed in the right area. Parents know this. Sometimes you have children that are strong-willed. Praise the Lord. And you know which one I'm talking about that are strong-willed. And you don't want them to not be strong-willed. But you want their strong willingness to be directed in the right way. Because I know if my child is strong-willed, when everybody's asking to take a hit of a joint or whatever it may be, they're not going to do it because they're strong-willed. So I don't want them to lose the fact that they're strong-willed, but I want it to be directed in the right lane. Are you with me? Come on. (laughs) Amen. All the parents said amen. So in the same way with Jesus or, or with David... He was passionate, but he was a passionate worshiper. He didn't lose his manhood just because he got emotional with God. Let me say that again. He didn't lose his manhood, nor was he less of a man because he cried before the Lord. Am I talking to somebody? I've cried before the Lord in my life. 
I've had tears like boo-hooing the whole night before the Lord. I can remember prayers like, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. Why, Lord? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? But I trust you. I need you, God. I know that you'll come through for me. Those prayers before him. And they weren't long prayers. Men, we communicate a little differently, right? We don't always give the details, but we get right to the point, all right? But there ought to be something in us that propels us to worship the Lord. I'm not trying to dictate or say this is how you should, like, worship looks like this. But I have to believe that if Jesus has done anything in your life, that it will be expressed on the outside. Because everybody that I think about in the Bible whose life was changed, there was an expression. When I think about David, when I think about how God took him out of the sheepfold and brought him into this kingship and how he worshiped before the Lord with passion, this was the man's man. He could cry. He could get emotional before the Lord. But in the next chapter, he could cut off a man by the name of Goliath. He could cut off his head. The same dude who was crying, who was emotional, who was into worship, who was kneeling before the Lord, who was passionate in the next chapter, straight up cut a dude's head off. And not only that, was holding it. All the... (laughs) Holding his head. Talk about a man's man. Hold the dude's head. Look at this. But at the same time, He could worship before the Lord. We need men to rise up to show these young students, to show this generation that you don't have to be afraid to cry. You're not less of a man if you're not vulnerable and transparent. I have three boys, and one thing that I missed out on is seeing my father in that way. But I said to myself, I'm going to break that curse. My kids are going to know what it's like for their dad to be emotional, to be uh, affectionate with them. Because I tell you something, we have a generation, and I've, and I've been working with youth for over 15 years, 15 years, and I've seen youth who were deprived so much of a father's affection. I've known adults, and some of their behaviors and some of the things that they put up with, it's an indication of a daddy wound. We need our men to stand up. Amen? Amen. But she's at his feet, and she breaks open this flask of oil. So theologians believe that Mary, why they had this close relationship is after Jesus saved Mary in Luke chapter 7 in that Pharisee's house. Not only did Jesus save Mary, but also brought comfort and peace to an entire family. And so the entire family was indebted to the Lord because they saw their sibling come to know the Lord. Are you with me? But what's interesting is in this text that we're reading, and I was talking to somebody in between service, and they actually brought up something interesting. Could it be possible that Martha was jealous of Mary because of the time that she was spending with God? In one breath, she was excited for her breakthrough, but then in the other, potentially jealous of what the Lord was doing in her life and not in hers. But how many of you know if one of us wins, we all win because we're the body of Christ. This is why jealousy should have no place in the body of Christ because if you win, I win as well because we are the body. 
And I should be content in the situation that I'm in. We, we might see somebody getting blessed. Maybe they got a car and you're watching on Facebook or Instagram and, and like the jealousy begins to come in. The envy begins to come in. But why are you envious? If this is a child of God and they're walking in the ways of God, we should be grateful and thankful that God is blessing them. Because is it possible that the blessing is being held up in your life because you can't rejoice in others' blessings? Because the Bible says, God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. So if I'm in need of joy, I need to sow joy in your life. If I'm in need of healing and prayer, I'm going to speak healing and prayer over my friends, over my family members. If I'm in need of provision, I'm going to give to somebody else who's in need of provision. Whatever it is that I'm lacking, sow it. Are you with me? But she had a close relationship with him. But as I bring this in for a close, there's something that was mind-boggling to me, and I've pondered this for many years as I've studied the Bible. How is it that serving can be a distraction? How is it that serving, doing something for someone else or serving the house, serving the church can be a distraction? One of the points that I want to make is serving becomes a distraction when the guest of honor is ignored. Serving becomes a distraction when the guest of honor is ignored. Everything that we do in this life, the question that we have to ask ourselves, whose name are we doing it in? And for whose glory are we doing this charitable act? Because there are people all over the world, billionaires, millionaires, who do charitable acts. But may I ask them this, whose glory are you seeking this charitable act? Is it for your glory? Is it to toot your own horn for everybody to know what you've done? There is power, Faith Church, in keeping things a secret. Not all things. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There are some things that we should confess to one another that we might be healed. That doesn't mean that we cover things and try to hide things. We should have brothers and sisters in our life that we can be vulnerable with. But what I'm talking about, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says something. He says, when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That's powerful. So people will see the after effect of the blessing, but they won't realize the seed that was sown in secret. What is with it with this girl? Man, she is on fire. Man, God is blessing her. Doors are opening, but you don't know the time that she spent with the Lord. You don't know the time that he sought the Lord, even in the midst of everything going on in their life. Jesus said something else. He says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces to fast to be seen. Ever been around those folks? Hey, like, you want something to eat? No, man, I'm fasting. You know, I'm trying to get close to the Lord. I'm trying to be all spiritual, you know. I'm fasting. Nobody needs to know that you're fasting. I've discovered the Lord rewards what's done in secret. A fast that the Lord will honor is one that's between you and him, and that takes faith. And that takes discipline. Because, man, when you fast, everything's coming out. Strawberry cake. <laughs> Glory. Some ribs. Everybody's bringing stuff up. Man, why y'all doing this? I'm hungry. But you know what? Keeping it to yourself. No, I'm just not going to eat right now. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. 
There's something about doing it in secret. Are you with me? So the question is, Martha is so concerned. And and before we point the finger, before we get upset at her, you got to understand the context of this scripture. When I say context, whenever you're reading the Bible, if you're looking at a particular passage, now, now what, what we would love is if you started from the first chapter and read the whole book because you'll have a proper perspective of what the writer's intent was. But sometimes we're looking at a verse, we go in the Bible, and we read a chapter. Many men and women of God have put themselves in a dangerous place when they isolate a scripture and take it out of context. Denominations have been started over taking a scripture out of its context. So it's important that when we look at the Bible, this is helpful. If you're looking at a chapter, look at the chapter before or as many chapters as you can before and the chapter afterward. So when we look at this passage of scripture, in the chapter before, Jesus just sent out 70 disciples. 70. 70 disciples to go from house to house talking to people about the kingdom, trying to get people saved. And the Bible says that these 70 disciples come back and they're excited. Like they were dancing here on the stage. They were probably like that. I mean, they were excited. They were joyous because they said, Lord, even demons are subject to us. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in this, but rejoice in the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so they're excited. But the Bible makes no mention that Jesus ever broke away from these 70 disciples. So as Martha invites them into the house, (laughs) to Martha's surprise, not only is she getting Jesus and his 12 disciples, but she's getting about 70 disciples coming in as well. Ladies, how many of you are excited when you have uninvited guests that come with their friends and their posse? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like, man, this is like, but I, I mean, I got this stuff there, like, I'm gonna put up these clothes, haven't folded these in a week. I mean, I mean, like, she's scrounging. Hey, like, no, no, uh, no judgment there, but I mean, she's scrounging, trying to figure out, man, how can I provide for all of these family members, for all of these people? One thing I always admired about my mother is she's a very hospitable person. We have any hospitable people in here. You just love to have company over. You love to entertain, uh, um, entertain, make people feel welcome. We could use you as a greeter. Come on. Um, but, um, but she was so welcoming. Like people would come into our house and I observed this and I, and, and I do the same. But, but I mean, she was so welcoming. She was so inviting. You know, hey, like, you want a cup of Kool-Aid? Like because Kool-Aid was popular during that time. Man, Kool-Aid needs to come back with a white picture with a uh, smiley face. But um, no, we had Kool-Aid, and, and, and like she was so caring. Hey, like go on and put your feet up, like take your shoes off, whatever the case was. Like she was always inviting. And so I was struggling with this passage because what is Martha doing that's wrong? Why does the Bible say that she was distracted by serving? The reason why she was distracted was because her mind was focused on temporary things. How many of us can sometimes get so distracted with things that aren't necessarily bad, but things that are taking us away from his presence. Many times when I minister to people on the streets and I witness, the first thing that somebody will say is I'm trying to talk to them about their relationship with God. Yeah, man, I go to church or I haven't been to church in a while, but that's not what I asked you. I asked you if you have a relationship with Jesus because you can go to church every week and still not have a relationship with God. In fact, I did this. 
I went to church every week with my mom, but when church was over, I put my Bible on the shelf and didn't pick it up until the following Sunday. I had no relationship with God, though I was in the church. Now, that doesn't mean seeds weren't being planted, but it didn't become real and passionate for me until I got to college and God drew me to himself and saved me. Are you with me? But watch this. She was distracted. She was overwhelmed by everything that was going on. And sometimes you can be overwhelmed with so much. How many of you have to-do lists that are just endless? To-do lists. Maybe it's stuff around the house. Maybe it's like things that you have to do for work. Even as I was preparing this message, and it's amazing how God teaches us through our kids. Any parents in the house? I can remember, you know, we just got back from the mission trip. And we got in at 4 a.m., 4 a.m. And I have three kids, nine, seven, and five. Um, I don't even think they slept. <laughs> but they got up the next morning super early. And so I'm kind of looking over my notes there at the house, and I'm, and I'm at the table just kind of looking over my notes. And there was a part of me that felt like, man, I got to be focused on this. Man, like, I got like, I, 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 I to put all these pieces together. I need to do a little bit more studying. And my daughter... It's just laughing. <laughs> I don't even know what she's laughing about. She's like coming around the corner. She's looking at me. She's smiling. And God just nudged me and said, Brandon, put what you're doing down and just spend some time with your daughter. And so I took her in my arms and, man, we were playing, having a good time. She sat right next to me. Those are precious moments. And I don't know, but a lot of people who have kids and who have older kids have told me, Brandon, time goes by so fast. Don't miss those moments. And I'm listening to you. But I started thinking about God. I know you're studying for your test. I know the house looks a mess right now and you're trying to do various things. I know you got a lot going on. But come and spend time with me. Come and talk to me. Come and share with me some of the things that are going on. Prayer should never close when you think about it. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. What does acknowledging God look like? Lord, this is a beautiful day that you've created. As I look at the sky, as I look at where you've brought me from, as I'm sitting here in this desk at my job, you provided this, God. As I look at my children, as I look at my husband, as I look at my wife, even as I look now in my singleness, you've cocooned me, you've provided for me, you've taken care of me as a single mom. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful, God. I remember what I was doing. I remember where I was when you intervened in my life. It's just a conversation with God. As things come up in your day, whether it's at work, whether it's news that you receive through a phone call, when you're already in a conversation with God, it's not as surprising because you're thinking about him and you know how good he is and you know how powerful he is. So I understand like this news that is coming. I, I, I understand all of these things that are mounting and it seems like this big mountain is forming. But God, I know that you're with me. I know that you're with me. Faith Church, it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 60. You need the Lord. And he wants to have an intimate 
relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you. Sure, we're grateful when you come to church, and church is important. But let me ask you something. Do you take the church with you when you leave this place? Is God still on your mind when you're driving through New York, which is crazy? Like when you're going through New York, is the Lord still on your mind? When you're working out, when you're going about your various business, your various affairs throughout the day, are you thinking about him? And this is what the Lord has been sharing with me. Brandon, you got to understand, I love you. You are my son. And for you, you are my son. You are my daughter. I want to communicate with you. The lines of communication is always open. I am a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I intercede for you throughout the day. Did you know God intercedes for you? He is a high priest. Now, I know we have priests that are here on this earth, but I can't go through them 24-7. And by the way, why go to a priest when I have a high priest? Who sits before the Father, who intercedes for me on a daily basis. I'm not trying to step on any toes, but I have a high priest whose lines of communication are open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. He is open to me. And when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. So I have unlimited access to him. But will you come to him? Will you seek his face? And even though Martha was preoccupied with so much, Mary had chosen that best part because she was at his feet. Let me put all this stuff to the side. Lord, I need to get along with you. I'll close with this. Um. Judy and I, like my wife, um, we've been married now for 14 years. And I can sense, even in our relationship, when we're close. I hate to put it this way as a guy, but I don't know how, like, like any other way to say it. But you have those lovey-dovey moments with your wife or with your spouse. And you can sense when things are close. But you can also sense when things are distant. Maybe it's stuff that's going on with the kids, stuff that's going on with life. And you can feel almost like we're not as close as we used to be. And you know what? We need to go out on a date. You know, we need to connect with each other. Like we need to spend time with each other, all of those things. But the same applies with God. You know your relationship with God more than anyone else. No one can tell you where you stand with God but you. You know what it's like to be close to him if you have a relationship with him. And what God is asking If our relationship is distant, it's not because I left. If our relationship is distant, it is because you allowed certain things to take my place. Those things aren't necessarily bad. And even as pastors, we can be guilty of this. Sometimes we can be so busy doing the work of the ministry that we neglect the God of the ministry. It's important for us to steal away as well and to receive ministry for ourselves, to be ministered to, to get along with God. And this is a struggle. If I could be transparent, even as a pastor, I have to totally be guarded in this area that I make sure that I make time for him, that I'm going to the word, not for a message for you, but a message for me. He's calling us to intimacy with him.